0: Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm, and this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to the Village Podcast. I'm here with Kyle Nakasuji from Clear Cover. Kyle, how's it going?
1: Good, Eric, how are you?
0: thank you for, for coming on the podcast. So we're here to talk about insurance. You've been involved in insurance as an investor and now as a founder with ClearCover. First off, say why in
1: 2018, why is insurance so exciting? You know, I don't know if I would go so far as to say insurance is exciting, mm-hmm. at least as it relates to most folks. But to me, at least, I'll, t- right. I'll tell you why. Or why is it exciting it? business opportunity? Yeah. So I think... Or maybe you'd challenge that. here. No, no, it is. It mm-hmm. is, And I think part of the reason is, is one, of is- it's huge, right? And like people generally know this, that it's a trillion dollar market. If you start to add up all the lines of business that people have to buy insurance in. So I think the size of the opportunity is really compelling. But when you combine that with the fact that there is still so much low hanging fruit in terms of what can be improved, I think that's where you really start to get excited about what's out there. So I was actually this weekend rereading a bunch of Amazon shareholder letters. And if you uh, go back and read Jeff's 1997 letter and uh, think about insurance while you're reading it. And like, it's amazing, right? Like, I think that moment for that business is just happening right now in insurance, which is incredible. So what's that going to look like? I mean, the first thing is, I think we're only starting to see the beginning of the effects of online commerce on insurance, right? Like despite the fact that you can buy the product online today and you you have been able to for a little while, it certainly hasn't kept pace with the rest of online commerce. And like, if you look at it, 75% of people, last study I read, start their insurance shopping process online, 25% of them finish it there. And I have a feeling that that 50% of folks don't not finish there because they really don't want to, right? Like I think insurance, commerce online has a really long way to go in a whole bunch of product lines. And so we're an auto insurance company. It's a big market. We think that people would really like to buy that online. So that's low hanging fruit, but cross the board, there's a huge amount of opportunity in terms of distribution. And then the distribution opportunities kind of flow across the value chain. If you can find a way to distribute, then you can create product, then you can create new structures, you can start to affect the cost structure of the business as a whole. Like I think starting from a new way to sell the product, certainly not refinish, but it opens up sort of Pandora's box of all the things that can be improved by the industry
0: as a whole. I know insurance is, is huge, but a lot of people have trouble even just wrapping their heads around where to start. For the audience, can you sort of outline a little bit of a framework for how to make sense of, you know, what are the different, you know, sub areas within the landscape and then put your investor hat on And say, if you were solely focused on a fund that was focused on the insurance space, where would you be looking, where are the
1: opportunities and where would you sort of stay away from? Yeah. So thinking about sort of a mental model or a cognitive framework for insurance on the whole, right? Like there's a bunch of ways to slice it up. I think the easiest way to really look at the market from top down is that there are personal lines, things that an individual will buy. It's more retail oriented and then commercial lines. These are things that businesses buy. And like, you, you can go higher than that, you can go lower than that, but like, it's a good way to start the segmentation because the buying habits are a little different, the product are a little different, the underwriting is a little different. And then once you get into there, you have various lines of businesses within those categories, right? You can do auto, you can do homeowners, you can do renters, you can do um, inland marine, which is an interesting category that nobody spends a lot of time talking about, which is this weird broad insurance category which covers like jewelry and your stuff when it's moving and It originated from ocean marina stuff traveling across the ocean, inland marina stuff traveling across the land, and then came to encompass all this other stuff. Like there's all these lines of business. And then there's commercial lines, which is like small business, large business, cyber insurance. And you can start to kind of – the tentacles from each of those areas start to flow down. So um, generally speaking, uh, once you then have that particular line of business, right, then you can dive into the value chain of that line of business because the value chains per line of business are actually slightly different. The auto insurance value chain – might have different participants. It might be longer or shorter than the one in homeowners, than the one in renters, than the one in cyber, than the one in large commercial, right? And so I think like if you start from, is this for a person or is this for a business? What is the actual line of business? And then how do I get into the value chain of that particular line of business in terms of distribution and supply and the mechanics of operation? You can really start to understand the nuances of the differences between what kind of insurance you're spending your time on. And it's important not to... Not to think one is necessarily going to behave like the mm-hmm. other either. So like going through that process is I think pretty important. And so to your second question, what would I be looking for? So there's a lot out there. So when I when I did this professionally, one of the ways that, that we looked at segmenting what was interesting is these three overlapping circles. And so this this was sort of our mental model for how to look at what was happening and what we were excited about in the insurance space generally. Whether wherever you landed in that decision tree of you know lines of business and, and value chains. And this was, these three circles were distribution, product, and structure, and they overlap. Mm-hmm. So you can build a business that's working on distribution and product. You can build a business that's working on product and structure. You can build a business that's working on one. You can build a business that's working on all three. And part of what we thought was there are interesting businesses in all of them, and some businesses start in one and migrate towards another. But what you have is um, what we called this a gradient of defensibility, which is, uh, in essence, The further you get from the periphery of these three overlapping circles towards the center where they're all working together, the harder your business is to copy, the more defensible it is. And so we use that as a framework to look at most startups that came through the door and said, do they fit into one of these categories? And if they do, are they likely to migrate to others? And how are they going to sort of trend in this gradient of defensibility?
0: So what are a couple examples of companies that you've invested in or or would have liked to have invested in and how do they fit that framework?
1: So I'll I'll use ClearCover because I'm most familiar with it and then uh, we could talk about others as well. So
0: yeah, ClearCover is your company. Explain what it does.
1: Yeah. So very briefly, so we offer car insurance at lower prices than traditional insurance companies because we have advanced technology and we focus on what we call moment centric distribution. Both of those things allow us to spend a lot less money on things that don't matter to customers. We pass those savings on to the customers in the form of lower rates. There's no tricks. It's pretty much the same car insurance that you expect to buy when you go out and buy it from anyone else. The difference is because we're smarter about how we run the business, because we have a better cost structure, we get to pay less for it. And is that because of efficiency, what it allows for that cost? So the big problem in insurance uh, that we saw that not a lot of people were paying attention to was this idea that um, companies are spending way too much money on things that people don't need or care about. And there are two primary culprits. The first is the cost of operations, legacy systems, right? And like the average age of a top 10 insurer, I think is 98 years old. And it's not that they're not full of smart people and that they're not well-intentioned, but that's a lot to carry around. And so by starting from scratch in 2018, with the benefit of modern technology, machine learning, AI, stuff like that, you can run a lot more efficient insurance company and still deliver great experiences. So the operating side of the business has a lot of ways to take that away. The other side of the business, which is, I believe, more insidious because a lot of people don't really understand that they're paying for this, is the cost of buying people's attention, right? Marketing, advertising, and honestly, the cost of traditional agents. At some insurance companies, those two things combined can be 30% or more of what you pay every month, which is a lot of money. And so we sort of saw these two big problems, outdated operations and sort of expensive attention-seeking. And we took care of both of them. So we have more efficient operations by virtue of using these great tools and being a tech company. And then we do this thing called moment-centric distribution, which is we built what amounts to an insurance platform that integrates it with moments when insurance is going to be naturally relevant to people. So in this, uh, when you're shopping for insurance or maybe you're dealing with your car or maybe you're just managing your personal finances. But all moments when saving money on car insurance is actually going to mean something to you, our platform allows insurance to be bought instantly, in that moment, so you can take care of that insurance need, save a bunch of money, and move on with your life. And by doing that, we cut out all those additional expenses, the blimps and the Super Bowl ads and celebrity right. endorsements, and so we get to pass the customer better rates.
0: The commercials with lizards in them. With lizards in them. Let's shout out Cover. Karn wasn't able to make today, but we want to shout him out regardless. Yeah. What's so special about Cover? And I understand they're, they're a
1: partner of yours. But... Cover is a really interesting business, so I think... Explain what it is first and then why it's so, so So what Cover is is doing, and Karn would do a better job explaining it than I would, is I see them as sort of an insurance concierge, where you can go to them with your insurance needs using the mobile app that they built, which allows you to take photos of stuff that you want to insure, and then they'll help find the right coverage for you. And the right coverage is usually a combination of making sure that you have enough coverage and that you're paying the least amount of money for it. And so Karn built this amazing business. They they have this really great team. And I think they're part of this broader movement towards what we call neo-agency, and so what this describes is the idea of agency in insurance is really important because the product is, you know, our opinion is that it's pretty much a commodity, but commodities can still be complex, yeah. right? Just because something is commoditized doesn't mean everyone understands it. It just means they're all pretty much the same. And so because the product is, is despite being a commodity, pretty complex and, uh, and not something you think about frequently, which means you're not sort of tuned up on it. This idea of agency, of having someone who can be there to support your decision-making is really important. But what's gone wrong in the industry over the long term here is that we have sort of intermingled the definition of agency and the person in an office on the corner, right? And some of those people working offices on the corner are fantastic people, and I mean them no harm, but I firmly believe that the value you receive from that person is no longer commensurate with the cost of that person. And so Karn and Cover are part of this sort of neo-agency movement, which is how do we create more cost-efficient, and better user experience ways to provide agency without the sort of old right. school methods, and um, and so we're really bullish on that movement. And Karn and his team have been leading that movement for a while. Uh, why is
0: it so hard to disrupt incumbents in general? Like Why, where <laughs> business is still so
1: strong? Uh, you know, they there are a lot of smart people who work at those companies, and they have a lot of money, mm-hmm. a lot of money. Like, so let's talk about. State Farm for a second. So State Farm is the biggest insurance company in the U.S. They're absolutely massive. They also, in 2016, they haven't reported 2017 yet, to my knowledge, operated at a seven billion dollar loss. But that was okay because right. they can do that for the next 50 years. Wow, right? Like that is that that company has enough capital that they can make a lot of mistakes for a very long time and things would be okay. And so it's really hard to overcome of that type of capital advantage and then the, so the other thing that i think is really fascinating is insurance companies i believe the the incumbents are, are increasingly getting good at what i call positive innovation and this is essentially the the idea that they're getting good at throwing smart people and money at problems and creating new things and they're not you know they're not good all the time but they're getting better at it right like i think there's been enough that we can talk more about um startup dogma but there's been enough like perpetuated in terms of corporate innovation, that they're starting to learn the tricks of the trade. I think what they're not quite so good at is what I would call negative innovation. And this is doing less, accomplishing more by doing less, right? Right. Stopping things that are costing you more than they should. And so that's where I think people have a real opportunity to disrupt incumbents. And I can talk about how Geico did this, 37 on, but essentially it's it's achieving more with less, which is really hard for these big incumbents to do. Well, I I feel self-conscious because I said, Geico. Okay, so how did, how did they do it? Geico was founded in thirty seven, actually by a couple of people who left USA. And and the sort of idea behind it was very simple. They were going to sell direct to consumers instead of through commissioned agents. And that idea, again, 1937. I think the, in my opinion, the real turning point for the business was um, Warren Buffett through Berkshire Hathaway had bought 51% of the company leading up to 1995. They bought the remaining 49% of the company at the end of 95. And when they did so... Geico had about three and a half billion in uh, written premium per year, which is a really large number. But they were not, by any means, of challenging the giants at the top of the hill. And that's when they really started to step on the gas in terms of leveraging their cost structure advantage to to lower their prices and chew up market share. And so, starting from that acquisition, you can see like if you plotted Geico's marketing spend, right, it would be an increasingly steep slope. And the reason was. They realized that they could run their business at a lower cost than anyone else, which allowed them to pour more money into advertising and marketing than anyone else and still have lower prices. And so starting in 96, they really stepped on the gas. And from 96 until now, they put 23 or $24 billion in written premium in the business. They went from towards the bottom of the top 10 to, I believe, the second biggest carrier in the country. And here's, I think, the real lesson. As that happened, as, as effectively they came in and really started eating everyone's lunch, Nobody did anything about it, right? And it's because most of these carriers, again, though very smart and like massive businesses, right? We only dream of having as successful a business as they do, but they're stuck. There wasn't a response. And so Geico leveraging this cost structure advantage, starting in 37, but really kicking it in in 96, was able to offer a great product at lower prices than almost everyone. And they took most of the market. Yeah. If you,
0: uh, well, for companies for founders who come your way and say, Hey, I want to build a company in insurance space. And if you weren't building clear cover, where would you recommend they, or
1: where would you look elsewhere in the space to build a company? Where where the other opportunities? Yeah. I mean, I think so this neo agency thing, obviously we're, we're biased, but I think there's a lot of opportunities to really put simply help customers find and buy the right insurance when it actually matters to them. So like, I think there's opportunities across as, categories, Across and categories, just you, verticalize, you, just, you, you name it. Right. Because I think when you get into some of the, and I'm not the expert here, so like someone might um, yep. might write you and say this guy's a moron, but when you get into commercial lines, the products get a lot more complex, the yep. underwriting gets a lot more complex, and so like the need for human touch, I think necessarily goes up. Right. But a lot of the personal lines products are in this sort of commodity bucket, and so when the process of selling the product is sort of that repeatable, it's just begs for a technology company to come in and say, like, look, we're gonna, gonna automate a bunch of this stuff that typically has to happen and allow you to get this product faster or more easily or at a different price because we're we'll working with someone who companies that. So like I think distribution still is a is a massive opportunity. I think one of the areas that I think is, is fascinating and we sort of just barely scratched the surface on when I was at American Family but but is still out there is the the risk side of the equation. Right, I think we spent a lot of time thinking about the disaggregation of the insurance value chain and saying, like, what would the world look like if that value chain was more unbundled? And like, specifically speaking, there was a more democratized uh, form of of access to capital for people who were looking to sell insurance and like mm-hmm. needed people behind them to help take the risk. And reinsurers have done a really good job, and like the insurance-linked securities market has been around a very long time. And we looked at a handful of platforms that I think were using private investment or institutional investment to try and use insurance as a way to have an investment instrument with effectively zero beta. And like there were a lot of cool investment aspects to getting into insurance. And it just, I didn't really see it take off. So I think on the capital side of the business, there's still a ton of opportunity. I just, I know less about it than I used to.
0: Right. And I feel like we haven't talked as much as we should or can about how, you know, whether it's Internet of Things or whether it's wearables or other technologies leads to new, more data, which leads to better, you sort of, you know, risk analysis or, or risk. Is, is that overblown? Is that not yet really happening? Where's sort of new technology and it's bit of insurance. And how do you see it evolving over time?
1: I have a bit of a contrarian viewpoint on this. So I'll share with you how yeah, I feel please. about it. And then you know, we can argue about it if you want. But most companies claim to be customer focused. And in fact, most are competitor-focused. They do things that are interesting to them, that are in response to what their competitors are doing, that their peers are going to applaud them for. And I think that a lot of the advanced use of data or data collection from the customer to like offer them a highly specialized or like an insurance product that's that's more complex to them cognitively than the ones they buy today is a little iffy. I think it get to the heart of it, what we believe most people want from insurance, really regardless of who they are, is the right coverage, when it matters, for the lowest cost possible. And so if we want to talk about what data is available and what sensors are out there, Like that's great. But like we don't make any decision at ClearCover, whether it's this sensor, this partner, this data, unless it serves those three things. And those three things have to be balanced against each other. And so like I, I think there are interesting data sources. There are interesting ways to look at risk that people are not doing yet, but I sort of in many ways think we're forgetting to look at it through the lens of what people actually want from the category going a little bit too far in terms of creating layering complexity into the insurance experience that like the real customer of insurance doesn't really want.
0: You wrote this post, uh, so your startup wants to sell, sell insurance. Yeah, Talk about what you were writing in that post If, if for what you haven't said yet here and talk about what kind of conversation that that started?
1: So I wrote the post. I was actually living out here when I wrote the post, and so it, it was really born of this idea that I can't take credit for. We we were working on it at American Family called incidental insurance, which is a lot of what we've talked about, which is essentially finding ways to integrate insurance with these point of sale opportunities where it actually makes sense. And like we were talking about that in uh, 2014, The guy wrote the first thing on it over winter break between 14 and 15 because. At big insurance companies, it gets a little slow over the holidays. So so that I, the genesis for the idea was actually older. And then, and then we wrote the post later. And it was really in response to, we had this idea about incidental distribution. And then we went out to the market and we're talking to all sorts of startups. It was really an entree for us into conversation. Like people who had never thought about insurance. And again, back in 2015, like a lot of people weren't thinking about insurance. We would look at the business and say, you might not know this, but you have an insurance customer. How would you feel about, you know, layering in an insurance offering. And like a lot of them said, no, but it was, it was really, it was exploratory in nature. So after we had a lot of those conversations, we started to having put some real thought into like, well, how does one actually become a seller of insurance? Like we've seen these opportunities, like how do they actually become a seller of insurance? And that was then the research behind that post was figuring out How all of these startups we were talking to were actually going to get into the game of selling insurance? What were the structural options in front of them? And we went through, you know, lead gen, or you're a broker, you're an MGA, or you can even become a carrier. And like that mix still exists today, but it was really born of this one idea. And for those who
0: are new to the space, discuss a little
1: bit the differences between those terms, what those things are. Yeah, referral or lead gen, you know, is is as it sounds, right? right? Like I have a customer, I throw up a banner ad, come to your website, I get paid. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of people who yep. make money doing that. It's maybe not the best customer experience, but it serves a purpose. Yep. A broker or an agent is appointed by a carrier and they sell on their behalf, but like they don't do underwriting, which means, so this is an important aside because I'll, I'll say it here because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but it took me a long time to grok this. So like I share with my people again, like, hey, there is a distinct difference between underwriting and rating in insurance. And like you hear people talk a lot about like, well, who's underwriting it? Are you underwriting it? And like, um, the term is used incorrectly. Underwriting is essentially a yes, no decision. Underwriting is the decision of the insurance company, whether or not to insure the risk. If you are, if the answer is affirmative, yes, I will underwrite this risk. Then you rate the risk, which is looking at the risk and figuring out what price to charge. And so there's this distinct difference between underwriting, which is yes or no, and rating, which is if yes, what price? This is important because agents, brokers, they don't do either right? They collect risks, and then they hand them off to insurance companies who will make the decision whether or not to insure the risk and then give them a price if so. You know, in essence, they, they have acted as an intermediary to help people find different options, make a selection, they provide advice, they provide agency, but they're not involved in building the product, and they're not involved in deciding who gets to have that product. If you go up one layer to an MGA, which stands for Managing General Agency, and we could talk for much longer than we should on the flavors of MGA because they exist on a spectrum and that spectrum has been growing over the past few years. But an MGA, um, in the broadest sense possible, can look and feel like an agent, but have more responsibility for actually deciding which risks to insure. And I think the classic, the classic um, example here is an MGA that only sells insurance to dental practices, right? So like Underwriting a dental practice could be a complex task because, you know, the equipment is specialized and the risks of digging in somebody's mouth to pull a tooth out are specialized. And so someone might become exceedingly good at understanding the risk of a particular dental office. And so they get in the business of telling which carriers or telling carriers which of those risks they want to write. Right. Like I'm in the market for finding the best dental office to insure. and Like I pass those to carriers, I get paid for it. That's like the old version of MGA, like specialized risk picker. The new version of MGA is more of a quasi-carrier, which is like I have freedom to build products and get involved in selecting the risks and maybe service some of the risk and like help the customer manage their policy or go through the claims process. They sort of look and feel like insurance companies, but they're not. And the reason is because that's last bucket here, carriers, have two things that MGAs don't. They have capital or a balance sheet, right? And this is a big regulated market. In order to write insurance, you have to have a lot of money behind you. So they have that capital. And they have what's called paper. And paper is just like insurance jargon for the appropriate licenses to sell whatever insurance you want to sell. And so like you can be furl, referral, you can be an agent, you can be an MGA, or you can be a carrier. And there are distinctions between structure. And there's also distinctions in terms of how you can engage with whoever your customers are. Uh, I'm going to say a company and I want you to say long or short and yeah. why. Lemonade. Long. Uh, say, say
0: what lemonade is and why you're long, or Lemon- why they're so innovative.
1: Uh, lemonade is, I think, one of the few companies out there who is really diving headlong into product and structural innovation. And as a result, they're able to offer their, offer their customers pretty compelling prices. Like they do a lot of other stuff, but I think the heart of what makes that business really interesting, in my opinion, is that they can sell people this thing that they want to or need to buy. For less money, because they've taken it upon themselves to do this sort of product and structural innovation ahead of time. So, uh, long Geico, long. Reason being is that the auto insurance market today is two hundred and ten or twenty billion dollars per year. They're growing at a steady clip. They have about nine percent market share, and they still offer really great prices relative. So, like, I'm longer on Clear Cover. I could never be short Geico. It's just a fantastic business. Stay far. <laughs> Sure. I I mean, again, like nothing, no offense, Right. right. and and like I don't mean to imply in any way that we have a better company or something like that. Unless they find a way to sell the core product for less money, I think it'll be difficult next 10 years. What about the effect of
0: cryptocurrency or blockchain in insurance? Eh. It will have a game-changing effect or it won't in the next five to 10 years?
1: Uh, It won't. For two
0: reasons. A lot of people are trying.
1: Uh, yeah. A lot of people believe it will. I think for it to have a game-changing effect, it's going to have to reach some of the incumbents. And it, I just don't see that implementation happening in a meaningful way in the, in the reasonable period of time. And like, we spent a fair amount of time thinking through of how to apply the blockchain to all that was happening in insurance. And, like, we got as far as, like, you know, asset tracking, this could right. be helpful, right? Having an immutable record of what happened to right. the vehicle and who owned the vehicle. Like right now we pay people for access to that. If there was a, a sort of distributed and immutable record of everything that happened in terms of your driving in the vehicle, like that would be of great help to us. But that data has got to get on the blockchain. And I think it's going to take some time.
0: You've raised a, over $10 million for the business. Insurance is pretty capital intensive. Is ICOing? Is
1: that, is that, have you seen that in insurance? Is that... Can I service mark clear on the podcast here yeah, please yeah totally. uh, i have had not serious conversations right, right. around like because there's a company on the uk that just did an ico they raised like yeah. 15 million pounds or something yeah. like that it's a peer-to-peer insurer i haven't spent enough time thinking about it uh never say never
0: yeah it's always a joke until it until it happens yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about jetty have you seen jetty yeah
1: what about jetty first say what jetty
0: is and then say what
1: jetty it. is well so i'll say renter's insurance provider i'm going to do a bad job of describing the other two products that yep. they, offer. they offer a security deposit product and mm-hmm. they offer a third product which like essentially a full suite of products for like the modern urban renter delivered in this beautiful package just go to the website and, like you'll get yeah. a real sense of the totally. design shops on that team again like that their state expansion last year was incredible like mm-hmm. really really impressive i've talked to the founding team uh Uh, once and um and they're clearly super smart like i just i think there's just so much room for good companies to make a dent in this industry like i just i get pretty excited about what what a lot of those folks are doing
0: and at the last few years a lot of sort of graveyard of startups who've tried to build companies in the insurance space why why have they why have they failed or why do you see common mistakes why they fail and what would your advice be we'll close out on this to, to people who are trying to build you know, insurance companies 2018 or, or who want to try?
1: You know, I think part of the reason that we sort of saw failures and, and it really this this feeds into sort of our ethos at ClearCover, there's another fantastic Bezos quote. And uh, it's from like the 2005 letter or something like that. And he talks about how, you know, you take home run swings, you're going to strike out a lot, mm-hmm. but occasionally you'll knock one out of the park. Difference between baseball and business is that baseball has a truncated return outcome. Right? What that means is that no matter how well you connect with the ball, you can only score four runs per right. swing. Business, occasionally when you step up to the plate, you can score a thousand runs. And so the analogy here is I think there are a handful of companies that had great teams and had the beginnings of really good ideas and didn't take enough risk, sort of saw the um, incumbent landscape and said, there's no way, like right. it's too crazy to try and compete. We'll just do something smaller and work with them. And what ended up happening is it is a, it is a very large challenge to work through the sales cycle of a very big company. And like a lot of them want to help, but they just, they're, they're naturally slow. And I think companies that had great ideas weren't willing to take enough risk and got stuck in this cycle of it appeared less risky and actually was more risky by virtue of the strategy they decided to employ versus what they could have done. And I know it's a bit different, but what about Oscar? Yeah. So I'm, fully unqualified to comment on like the mechanics of the health insurance space. From what I've read, profitability of the business has been a bit of a challenge. And like, again, you know, from my chair, anyone taking that kind of big swing and trying to implement or institute fundamental change in an industry that is that big, and that again, sort of like auto insurance is effectively mandated right? Like we live in a compulsory, like you want to drive a car, you have to have car insurance. So like people who are willing to take that big swing in markets where the product is compulsory. um, So it's going to affect a lot of people. If you get it right, I just generally commend on that note, Kyle, thank you for
0: coming on the village podcast. Thanks for having me. And look out for a clear cover launch coming soon. Yeah. Very soon. Okay. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you.